are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Now, with your Bible open to John 11, and uh, in this chapter, of course, verse 35, you find the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. I've never preached on that text, but I'd like to try to do that this morning, the Lord willing. Jesus wept. Now, most of us know the occasion of my text. Martha and Mary have now lost their brother, Lazarus. You know, when first our Lord heard uh, that Lazarus was sick, uh, he hesitated several days before he made his journey uh, to the home of Martha and Mary. And in that two days of hesitation, Lazarus died. And when finally the Lord arrived at Bethany, in the home of Martha and Mary, uh, Lazarus had already been uh, buried. Four days now he's been dead uh, and was buried. And you know the story, one of the great and blessed stories of all the Bible, in fact. How Lord uh, went to the sepulcher, under the grave site of Lazarus, and cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot, we're told, with the grave clothes. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. What a tremendous miracle that is. One of the great uh, miracles of all the Bible is the resurrection of Lazarus, who had been dead for four days and buried uh, in the grave. And our Lord lifted him out, loosed him, and let him go. But you know, in the uh, between the resurrection uh, of Lazarus and his death, a great deal uh, transpired. A lot of Weekend, a lot of mourning, uh, a lot of anxiety. You can imagine how very anxious Martha and Mary uh, must have been, having sent for the Savior. And while the Lord was a little bit slow about coming, uh, Lazarus died. You can ima- imagine how anxious they were that our Lord would hurry up and arrive. Because you remember what Martha said, Lord, had his son been here, our brother would not have died. Now that's the fact. Nobody ever dies in the presence of the Savior. Only he uh, could die in his own presence, and he did. But nobody else ever died in his presence. In fact, nobody remained dead uh, in his presence. He resurrected every dead person with whom he came in contact, as far as the Bible is concerned. Uh, He's the conqueror over death and the grave. And he said so, you remember, in the Revelation chapter 1, I have the keys of death and of hell. And that was uh, exemplified and set forth in the New Testament. He is the, uh, he is light. You remember how he said to Martha and Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And they testified, Yea, Lord, we believe. But there must have been a great deal of anxiety, uh, weeping and tears. And finally when our Lord arrived, they, uh, they go together, they walk together, our Lord, with Martha and Mary, and with a company of our neighbors and friends and others that had come to uh, give a word of sympathy. And that's always a good thing and a good time uh, to show sympathy and kindness and understanding when death comes into a, a circle of a family. And I want to say to you that death comes to all, everyone. These flowers placed in this auditorium in memory of one of our members who is with the Lord. And uh, I buried 300 can you imagine that? In these 27 years, uh, people who sat on these pews are uh, those back in the chapel, one or the other. 
300 people. Death comes to all of us, and there's no way in the world to avoid the reality it's going to come. Now, I pray, I pray to be postponed in your uh, particular case for many years. But the mortician told me that every 11 years, according to the law of averages, death comes into every family, every 11 years. So if you've been uh, blessed of God not to have had a death in 10 years, or 11 years, or 15 years in your immediate circle of family and friends, then God's been good to you and gracious to you indeed. But sooner or later, you'll not be able to say that. The most of us in the building have had a death uh, in a shorter length of time than 11 years in our immediate family. And so it comes to all, rich and poor, those that are ready, those that are not ready, uh, good and bad alike, all men die. It's appointed unto them once to die. And it's a good time for us to give a word of sympathy and help and encouragement when death comes. I know of no better time to send a flower. I know of no better time to give a card. I know of no better time to make a visit. I know of no better time to carry food into a home than in the hour of death. A golden opportunity for us to demonstrate the love of God shed abroad within our own heart. We, we have compassion. We have love to our brethren. And therefore, when they weep, we're moved with them. And so as they made their way to the cemetery uh, with many of her friends at the side of Martha and Mary, and with our Lord and several of his disciples, maybe all of his disciples, some at least, in the company as well, uh, they were all weeping and mourning and sighing. Don't you well know that our Lord knew that when they arrived at that sepulcher that he was going to say, Lazarus, come forth. Well, if the Lord knew that, then why would he bother, as in verse 35, to weep? If the Lord knew that in a few minutes the whole company would be made joyous and jubilant and blessed by resurrection, then why bother to weep? You might have wondered. I wonder about that. Why bother to weep? Uh, could you imagine for a moment, I don't think we could, that those tears were hypocritical? I don't think our Lord ever did one hypocritical thing in his life. I couldn't say that about myself, and I doubt if I could say that about most of you. Most of us, sometimes or other in our life, have given ourselves to some degree of hypocrisy. We sometimes speak of crocodile tears. We talk about some people able to turn them on or turn them off as they so desire. But that would not be the case with the Lord. Uh, you just couldn't honestly say that those were... Uh, crocodile tears, and that our Lord turned them on and then turned them off. I don't think that's the case. To me, that would lessen and cheapen Jesus and lessen the glory and compassion of our Lord if for one moment we thought those tears had any degree of hypocrisy in them. They must, therefore, have been genuine. When our Lord made that journey at the side of Martha and Mary to the cemetery, the Bible simply yet profoundly says, Jesus wept. Now that must be real. It has to be real. No doubt about it. And I'll get to the, the, uh, the, to the uh, uh, sincerity of it uh, in a moment. I want you now to consider the reality of it. He wept. He, the mighty Creator, wept. He who is the anticipator of the resurrection wept. He that has power over death and the grave wept. He who is the bread of life and who said earlier, He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die, wept. He the great creator with all might in his right hand wept. Jesus wept. 
And they are real, just as real as any tear you've ever shed in your lifetime. Now, I wouldn't be at all surprised if me and you haven't shed uh, many tears sometimes that were not really uh, genuine. Uh, we worked them up a bit, and we shed them a little bit too freely. Uh, my mother used to lay it on me, and I'd scream like I was about to die, and she'd say, if you don't shut up, I'm going to whip you again. And I'd have to quit or get another one, you know. And I turned them on and turned them off when I was a lad. But uh, most of us are guilty of that. But here is the Prince of Glory giving genuine tears uh, at this occasion. Jesus wept as He walked with them. He wasn't the only one weeping. Martha and Mary were weeping also. And all the Jews that were with Martha and Mary as they walked to the cemetery wept as they so did. Many a time we've had that experience, have we not? Uh, sometimes it tears my heart out afresh and anew to sit on this platform and watch some of the members of my church weep. Because I've sat there and I know the burden of it, I know the shock of it, and I know the grief of it. And it opens up the wound all over again. And I sometimes get so heavy in my soul until I can hardly sit on the platform because of, uh, of the compassion I have and because I know of the problem you've got uh, when you're weeping at the death of a loved one. Now, with those words in mind, there are three things I want to say about the words of my text. Jesus wept. Number one, uh, weeping is human. Number two, in this case, weeping becomes divine. And then number three, weeping reveals certain things that I want to point out to you. But first of all, and I think I've already labored at this point to some degree, uh, weeping is human. A human uh, reality, all of us, sometimes or another, have wept. I don't know that I've ever known a man who's never wept. I've known some people who are not given to weeping as freely as some other people might have been given to weeping. Uh, when I was a boy, you remember how we used to call certain people crybabies? Uh, in your family, maybe? Uh, if, uh, I imagine a girl being born among four or five boys has a hard time. And more than likely those boys will call her a crybaby because they probably aggravated the dad. Uh, I don't see how a girl could hardly get rid up in a family of four or five boys without a club in her hand. But anyway, we sometimes call people crybabies. Sometimes they might be. And then sometimes they may be agitated to that degree. And then there are others who don't cry quite as freely. I've known a few men uh, that uh, seldom ever cried or seldom ever wept a tear. But that doesn't nullify the fact that weeping is human. It's very natural, very human thing to do. I had a man come to me one time here in this auditorium. And he said, I want you to pray for me. And I said, now why do you want me to pray for you? He said, well, I'm afraid that I embarrass you. And I'm afraid that I embarrass the people at Tabernacle because of my weeping. Can you imagine that? The man would sit there on the pew and had a good song. He wouldn't express himself uh, like most of us by saying amen or hallelujah. He'd just sit there and cry. And he'd take his handkerchief out and just cry, just weep. I remember old Brother Barrett used to sit over here in the evening corner. I can see his nub hand now. His four fingers were cut off. But he'd pick out that handkerchief with his thumb and the nub on those fingers. And he couldn't hold it in his hand, but he'd get this and wipe the tears away. Sometimes hold that handkerchief the whole hour, just weeping, just weeping. Uh, some people weep more freely than others. But it's a human thing for people to weep. And by the way, the man that asked me to pray for him, that he stopped weeping, I said to him, Sir, I'll not do it. I'll not pray for you for that. 
Now, I'll pray for you if you have a need. But I said, I thank God for your tears. And I'll never ask God to dry them up. And if you weep, don't you ask God uh, to, uh, to take those tears away. Uh, because it's a good thing. It's a powerful thing. It's a refreshing thing. It's an inspiring thing. It's a stimulating thing. It's a godly thing. And it's a human thing that people weep. And you weep. You weep. If, if, if you are inclined to do that and tempered to do that, then you weep without apology to anybody, please. Tears are human. Weeping is a human reality. Sometimes tears will release a burden that you've carried upon your heart and a weight that you have upon your shoulder. Sometimes tears will mend a friction that might occur domestically. Sometimes tears will increase your faith and your concern about godly things and about the Bible and about the church, you see. Sometimes it's good to weep over the souls of loved ones who may be indifferent, grossly indifferent, about God or about the church or about eternity. So those tears are human. And those tears are good. And never ask God to remove them. Never attempt to remove them. But let them come freely. And you'll never know until you get to heaven the virtue, the value, the weight, the worth of the tears that you shed down in the sojourn. You know, the Bible speaks a great deal about tears. In the Revelation, I find those under the altar of God weeping and crying, How long, O Lord? How long? Uh, the tears, I believe, of God's people, God takes mind of, and God knows about, and God bottles those tears, and He'll answer those prayers. I've oftentimes said, and I believe I'm right, that God would not allow the child of a godly, humble, weeping mother to go to hell. If you've got a mother that can weep over your condition, you'd may as well get packed up and come on in. You'll have to come in sooner or later anyway. God's going to hear her prayer. If you've got a genuine mother that loves God and knows how to get a hold of the Lord, you're going to heaven. She'll pray you in, brother. You remember the Syrophoenician woman that I read about in the Bible? She had a daughter that was grievously vexed with the devil. That means she had a big devil. She was mean as a devil. And that mother's heart was broken. And she came to the Savior weeping. And our Lord, since she came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, turned her away. But she came back constantly, persistently weeping and beseeching the Lord uh, to deliver a daughter of that devil that she had. And the Lord turned away. But she was so persistent with her tears and with her requests until one day the Lord answered and delivered that daughter. You remember how, she, how Jesus said, It's not me, it's not wise for me to take the bread that belongs to the children and cast that bread to the dogs. Now, he was the bread. He is the bread. And he's the bread that came down uh, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he's saying, it's not me for me to take my ministry. And I've come as the Jewish Messiah and cast my ministry to the dogs. And you Gentiles are not uh, the ones to whom I came, basically, and primarily. Now, when Israel rejected uh, the Savior, then he turns, of course, uh, to the generation of whosoever will. But at that point, he said, it's not meat for me to take the children's bread. And he was that bread. And cast that bread to the dogs. But she said, yea, Lord, I understand. I know that. I know that. I know who I am. And I know who you are. But she said, the dogs 
would eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And when that woman made that statement, uh, even the Almighty seems to be startled and jolted. And Jesus said, I haven't seen that kind of faith, not even among my people Israel. Be it unto thee, woman, as you desire. In that moment, her daughter got converted. I don't think that daughter had any idea of becoming converted. I think that daughter had decided to live it up and have a big time till she died. But a praying mother would not let her go. And Jesus delivered that woman from the devil. And that daughter got healed and saved uh, by the grace of God. wonder what she thought when she found herself sober and in her right mind and thinking like Mama thought. She thought uh, the same thing you thought. Some of you right now had no idea the time would come when you'd be seated in a Baptist church with an open Bible in your hand, loving God in your soul, and born again in your spirit, and your name written in the Lamb Book of Life. But it's so. Somebody prayed you in. God heard the prayer of some saint of God. I say praying, uh, weeping rather, is human. Very human. All of us weep, sometimes or other. And sometimes the weeping of God's people or human people is real. It's not always put on. I think sometimes it is put on. I think some people turn them on and turn them off. But I, I, I also believe sincerely that tears can be real. They're for real. No doubt about that. I've had a broken heart. I know something about it. I remember in that valley experience of my own, the mortician. God bless a good mortician. And I'm not saying that all morticians will go to heaven because they bury our loved ones. Morticians go to heaven by the cross like we sinners go. But thank God for a good, compassionate mortician. And that mortician, seeing that my heart was broken. And I was, I'd slipped away in a room by myself. And I was weeping and sobbing by myself. And he stepped in, put his arm around my neck and said, Preacher, help yourself. Just go ahead and weep. I understand. And turn and walk away. That did me more good than I could describe to you. And those tears were not put on then. That was real. It was genuine on my part. My soul was broken and moved. And he knew it. And he said, you go ahead and hit yourself. Tears are human. Jesus wept. But I say a second thing now. Not only is weeping human, but I'd remind you that weeping in this particular text is divine. I can understand why I weep. And I can understand why you weep. But here we have the Son of God, who is very God incarnate, weeping. Jesus wept, verse 35. And there's not one thing human about Him, except His body, and He elected to be clothed in that body of bone and flesh. But He's the very God of the universe, this one that now weeps. He's tabernacle in a human body. But that doesn't mean that he's one less divine. I'd like to submit to you that Jesus Christ, in the 33 years of his life, was as much God in this world as he was in heaven from eternity to past. I don't buy the liberal idea that Jesus was only an expression of God and a good teacher and a good man. For as I'm concerned, He is God. One liberal said, uh, you believers, you make an idol out of Jesus. When you bow down and worship Him, you make an idol out of Him. 
I submit, my friend, you nor me shall never go wrong bowing down to Jesus Christ. He's God. He's very God. He's complete God. He's walking in the dust, but He's God. He's tabernacle in a body, but He's God. He's associated with Martha and Mary in their tears, but He's God. He ate a meal a while ago, but He's God. And He walked from His distant place out of the house of Martha and Mary, but He's God. Amen. He sat slapped under the shelter of a roof, but He's God. He put clothes upon His body, but He's God. And you could see beyond that human cloth upon His body, He would glow brighter than the noonday sun. He's very God, complete God. Not an expression of God. Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. Complete God. Very God. And yet verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Now in this case, weeping becomes divine. So far as I know, this is the only record of angels, or seraphims, or cherubims, or Holy Ghost, or Holy Father, or Holy Son ever weeping. You remember, Jesus looked upon the city of Jerusalem one time and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would that I could gather you under my arms as a hen doth gather a brood, but you would not. And he was moved with compassion and wept over the city of Jerusalem. But so far as I know, these are the only two records of any celestial persons ever weeping. In fact, I'm told in the Revelation that when we knew get to that a city of celestial glory, that God shall wipe away all tears from eyes. There'll be no weeping there. I've wept some down here, but I'm going to a place where I'll not be able to weep anymore. I'll have nothing to weep over to begin with. Because nothing shall enter into that city that worketh the foundation or that defiling. And so tears are going to be wiped away someday. In that celestial city, we call the New Jerusalem. But here's Jesus, whom you and I believe to be God, weeping. There are no records so far as I know that God weeps, or that the Holy Spirit weeps. The Holy Spirit mourns and makes intercessions with groanings. You may call that weeping if you like. But so far as I know, this is the only time deity ever shed tears. You don't weep without shedding tears. And here's the Savior, so human. Here's Jesus, so human, yet so godly, and so God, and so divine. Until when God clothed him in a human body, he put tear ducts in his eyes. You'd think maybe the Almighty would have left that off. Or you'd think maybe the Almighty would have left off his uh, hunger pains. Or you'd think the Almighty would have streamlined his physical body somewhat. So that you never become weary like we mortals become weary. But God didn't do that. God clothed His only begotten Son in a body that hungered, in a body that pained, in a body that wearied, in a body that wept. And here's Jesus now weeping with Martha and Mary. And in this case, weeping becomes divine. Now, number three, what does weeping reveal? In the particular case, in uh, John eleven thirty five, what's revealed by tears? Well, a great number of things are revealed by tears in your life and in my life, uh, but especially in the life of our Savior, because the text that I'm preaching from uh, tells me Jesus wept, and we're thinking primarily about that, not about our tears, 
But about his tears at the death of Lazarus, Jesus wept. Some things revealed. Number one, the tears of our Lord in John eleven thirty five reveal concern for Martha and Mary. They could not have been shed of any other reason. Because he being God was omniscient enough to know that in a few minutes he'd say, Lazarus, come forth. And don't you imagine when Lazarus came out of that grave, bound hand and foot to the grave clothes, that they clapped their hands and said, Hallelujah, isn't that wonderful? And they became jubilant and rejoiced. In just a few minutes down the road to the cemetery, our Lord knew that was going to happen. And yet for the moment, He's so concerned about the heartache of Martha and Mary. At the moment, He's so concerned about her friends that weep with her. At the moment, He's so concerned about the frailness of human flesh and the sorrow that besets all of us in the journey until He's so concerned about it until He weeps. Which tells me that in my tears, I can be assured that God feels with me. And in your tears, you can be sure that God feels with you. I don't think you've ever wept an honest tear in your life for what God is not concerned. God is occupied. God is concerned. And, and certainly that's so in this particular text in John eleven thirty five, It reveals the concern of the Savior. There'd be no other reason why he'd weep. Because he knew that Lazarus would be resurrected. But for the moment, for that short moment, from the house in Bethany to the cemetery, and it's only a short way I've been to Bethany, only a few feet, maybe a hundred yards or so away. Just a short trip as they walked along the way to the cemetery. But in that short trip, Jesus wept with him. And he weeps with me and you in our short pilgrimage from our birth to the grave or from our experience of grace until our death, he weeps with us. He knows, don't you know our Lord knows, the program for the resurrection morning? I mean, he knows that right now. Now, I've never seen a resurrection in my life. But I'd like to remind you that the order of service has already been fixed out in glory. And our Lord knows exactly the first thing that's going to happen, the second thing that's going to happen, and the third thing that's going to happen when all the saints come out of the grave. But in the meantime, we've got a little journey. And in that little journey until the resurrection morning, a lot of things beset me and you that hurt. Be assured, Jesus is concerned. It reveals His concern. Then again, it reveals His compassion. He's one touched with the feet of our infirmities. He knows my weakness. He knows my frame. He knows my heartache. He knows my heartbreak. He knows my grief. He knows my disappointment. And He has compassion. He's not indifferent. He has never closed the door to a weeping believer. Now, you might meet a few people in this sojourn that seem to be uh, completely unoccupied with your problems. You may knock on some doors, and when the door is answered, they, uh, upon learning who you are, they may slam the door in your face. They have no compassion for you, no concern for you, no interest in you. Some people are like that, and you run into people like that. 
You probably already have. No concern for you. But that's not so with my Savior. He knows every step of that short trip from my born-again experience until I come out of the grave. He knows every bit of it. And He has compassion for me. He's touched with the feeling of my infirmities. He's tempted and has been at every point and therefore able to make supplication and intercession for me and you that are tried and tested. He has compassion. He understands. He feels. He's got a heart. Jesus has got a heart. Whatever your burden may be, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Don't carry it away. Leave it with Him. He has compassion upon you. And you need not be ashamed. Sometimes people say, well, preacher, my problem is so uh, trivial. My problem is so small. I wouldn't bother the Savior. If I had a big problem like the Syrophoenician woman, or like Martha and Mary, but mine is just a little problem. No, you take every problem. He has compassion. You ought to be willing and anxious to pray about anything that you ought to pray about. Tear that burden to the Lord. Leave it there and realize that His tears reveal His compassion to Martha and Mary. Then again, uh, tears reveal His identification with Martha and Mary. Now here's one of the most amazing things I've ever thought of in my life. Here's God going to a funeral. Here's God going to the cemetery. What about that? If there's ever a contrast, uh, there is a contrast between God and a cemetery. Uh, there's different as anything in the world can be. The worst enemy in the cemetery has is God. And if it were not for God, the cemeteries would be permanent. There wouldn't be any resurrection. But it's already fixed up in God's economy that every cemetery in the world is going to be bankrupt and interfered and trifled with one of these days. And God's going to lead all its people out. And the cemetery knows that. Death knows that. The devil knows that. The devil hates to admit it. But he's going to have to give up the body of every dead saint around the world. That's already fixed up. And yet with all of that, already decreed by Almighty God, here is God walking to the cemetery. God walking to the cemetery. Now if that doesn't show me identification with that of this fallen race, then nothing in the world would. God thought it not robbery to make Jesus in the fashion of a man. And He laid aside the glory that He had with God from the foundation of the world and picked up the mantle of flesh and clothed himself in a mantle of flesh and became identified with Adam's fallen race. That's what Adam did in the Garden of Eden when Eve sinned. Eve is a picture of me and you, the bride. And it was Eve who was beguiled, not Adam. Adam was not beguiled. It was Eve who took that fruit and ate it and who died because of a disobedience. Adam could have carried her to the gate of the garden and driven her out into the night and said, I never want to see you again. He could have done that. He had the right to do that. He had a motive to do that. He had a reason to have done that. Because Eve was beguiled and Eve is the transgressor. But Adam didn't do that. He said, give me that fruit. And she gave it to Adam and he did eat. 
And the only reason the world that Adam ate that forbidden fruit was that he might be identified with his fallen bride. He said, I'd rather die than not have my bride. I'd rather suffer than to drive her out into the night. I'll go out into the night with her. And I'll receive the judgment of God in my place, in her place, in my body. I'll take her guilt upon my body. And someday the Father will let me pay her sin debt. And I'll redeem her again. Glory. Hallelujah. That's identification. That's what Jesus did with Martha and Mary. When he walked with them to the cemetery, God became identified with two young ladies weeping. I'm glad for that. I guess the old devil would have you not believe that. The old devil would separate you from God and drive you so far away from God until they never hear you pray again. But don't you let the devil lie to you. I want to say to you that even though we march to the cemetery, God is with us. And He's identified with us. And He's not ashamed to be identified with us. No, He loves us. And He fell in step with two weeping girls and wept with them as they marched to the cemetery. It reveals identification. And then again, it reveals personality. Our Lord had a personal interest in Martha and Mary. Oftentimes they'd eaten in their house. They'd been kindly disposed to Him. I wonder who made the robe without a seam that was removed from the body of our Lord by the kangaroo court of the Roman soldiers. Could it have been Martha? Or could it have been Martha and Mary? So far as I know, the Bible doesn't tell me who made that uh, garment without a seam. It had to be woven from the top throughout. Whoever made that garment, there was no seam, there was no arm uh, uh, arm sewed in it, or, uh, no uh, garment sewed uh, together. It was woven in one unit throughout. It took hours of labor, hard work, for somebody to take the time to weave the sleeves and to weave the body of the garment and to weave the uh, girdle that goes with it because it didn't have a girdle that made all one piece. It took hours to weave that garment. A garment without a seam, the Bible is clear. Maybe Mary made that. Maybe Martha made that. I don't know. Nobody knows for sure. Somebody did. But all of us would agree uh, that Jesus had a personal interest in Martha and Mary. And they had a personal interest in, in Him. And it reveals personality. That God is concerned about individuals. He walks with me. And He talks with me. And He tells me I'm His own. I think God's concerned about the whole world. But wait a minute, wait a minute. He's concerned about me. I think God's concerned about the whole human family. But wait! There's a sparrow that falls from the tree. He's concerned about that. I think God loves all Adam's fallen race. But wait a minute. Here's a lily in the jungles of Africa that turns his face toward God. God's concerned about that lily. And if he's concerned about the sparrow that's not worth a farthing, if he's concerned about the lily, then he's concerned about me and you. Over in Washington, I'm a number. And I can give you the number if you want it. I got it. And I got a number just like you got a number. In Washington, 
I'm nothing but, uh, but uh, a source of revenue. And they put it in a computer, not by my name, or the color of my hair, or how much I weigh, or don't weigh, or where I live necessarily, but they put it in that computer by number. If you ever go to the Social Security office, don't go without your number. You won't get the thing done. Oh, but I got a name and a birth certificate. That's right, but you've got to have a number. In Washington, we've lost our identity. We're just one of 200 million other Americans. And we don't mean much. Just a number. In a big, giant computer. I hate a letter written by a computer. If you want to insult me, you send me a computer-written letter. I got one the other day from R.S. written by a computer. And somebody signed the name to it. I don't like a, a, a typewritten letter. is all right, but not a computer. I don't want a machine telling me what to do. And that machine will write that letter to me, and all that, and that machine knows nothing. It's just a machine. And it writes to me and tells me what to do. I resent that. I want a man to tell me what to do. I want another human being to tell me what to do. I don't want a machine telling me what to do. Don't write a, a computer letter to me. I, I get insulted when I see one. But you know, God doesn't need computers. <laughs> He knows the number here in my head. Amen. He calleth the sheep by name. I don't think when Jesus got to the house of Martha and Mary, He had to be introduced. He knew them. When the Lord comes to my house, He doesn't say, Who are you, buddy? He knows who I am. And thank God I know who He is. It reveals personality. Personality. Jesus had a personality, and he knew Martha and Mary. Then again, the weeping of Jesus on this occasion reveals hope. Those girls didn't see it. They couldn't imagine it. If the Lord had told those young ladies what was about to happen, they wouldn't have believed it. If, if the Lord had told them what was about to happen, they'd have stopped weeping and ceased to be human. And God wants us to be human. And we are human. And God wants us to be human. We don't ever get out of touch with our brothers that are humans and mortals as we are. But uh, when Jesus wept uh, on the way to the cemetery, it reveals hope. He's concerned. Now, if He's concerned, then something is about to happen. If God is concerned, something must happen. And you know what did happen. Then again, it reveals love. Jesus wept because He loved Lazarus. But he wept also because he loved Martha and Mary. And he wept also because he loved all that crowd gathered around Martha and Mary. The other Jews as well. It reveals love. And then it reveals also a continuation. Now, the life of Martha and Mary had temporarily been interrupted by the death of their brother Lazarus. Their home was temporarily broken by this death. And most of you have a broken home. My home is broken. And my home will never be the same until my wife and I and our children get out of the grave at the resurrection morning. It's broken. And yours have been broken. Many or most of you have got broken immediate homes. And really there'll never be another home until the resurrection. And then in the resurrection, you're going to have a continuation. You know, death 
doesn't destroy the continuation of God's purpose. Now, it may, it may sever my life and take my life for a moment and take me away from you for a moment or you away from me for a moment. But it won't be long. It's not far down the road till the resurrection. And in the resurrection morning, then we'll fall in step again with mother and daddy, with husband and wife, and with son and daughter. And we're going to have a reunion. I, I've often imagined what it's going to be like for our, our crowded tabernacle on the resurrection morning. This crowd's rather emotional around here anyway. But you wait for some of these old saints that we've buried come out of the grave, and you come out with them. Woodlow Memorial Park, never heard such shouting in your mortal days. Up here at Graceland, while you hear them shout all over the city. Out at Greenland Memorial Park, saints of God shouting because we are now falling in step with our family. And we're marching on. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Jesus said that in the same chapter. So there has to be a resurrection. So uh, it reveals a continuation. Jesus wept, going down to the cemetery to resurrect Lazarus, which is a picture, of course, of that glad day when you and I likewise come forth out of the grave. Jesus wept. What a God we have, who one day can fling the stars from his fingertips, who one day can push out the valleys and scoop up the mountains, who one day can make man the crown and work of his creation out of the dust of the earth, who one day can paint that beautiful horizon as the sun begins to drop toward the west, and then the next day weep. What a God we've got. And then not far down the road from his weep, cry, come forth! They that were dead will come forth. That's the God that we serve. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.